Pulp MX Network production. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things that I want to say. You know a new view from inside the truck. X-Racer to Racer and Eye to Eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's Industry Seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires and brought to you by Blenzall, Plum Creek Funding, Works Connection, and Fly Racing. Welcome to Industry Seating. It is Sunday. I am in Las Vegas. I want to thank uh, Steve Mathis and Pookie Mathis for the hospitality. I just flew in from Daytona. I think I slept about 47 minutes last night. Jumped on a plane. Flew out here. Uh, Luckily slept on the plane. I was sitting next to one of the ESPN uh, sideline reporters that I grew up watching. So that was pretty cool. Holly Rowe. I know you're listening to this. Yeah, right. Uh... But she was pretty nice. Um, she was on her way to call the uh, women's Pac-12 basketball tournament. So, yeah, early mornings and long flights and all that good stuff. But I am excited to be here. I'm at the mansion. The Lion's Den, there are so many names for this place. But honestly, uh, just, you know, Steve and Pookie are, you know, 20-year friends of mine. And uh, I love coming and spending some time with them. Get to be on the Pulp MX show uh, tomorrow night we'll do the recap here live tonight that's on racer x and uh, i'm going to knock out this industry seating podcast that you're listening to right now so let's uh let's talk about daytona a little bit we will talk about vulcan sward a little bit that went on today and uh yeah just lots of racing supposed to be the debut of MotoGP this morning well this morning america time that got canceled because of coronavirus, and uh, we'll we'll get into a little bit of the ripple effects that are going on because of coronavirus for our racing here and abroad. Talk about our sponsors a little bit, but uh, let's jump into Daytona right away. Interesting weekend. It was cold. Uh, for those of you who are at home watching on the couch or uh, hot tub, you know, poolside like Chris Kiefer probably was, it was freezing cold all day, super windy. Um, that's not typical for florida you know in march it's generally a going to be a nice day but we had a big storm blow through a lot of wind on the back side of it and uh what was a a, just a brilliant day on friday really went sideways on saturday and it wasn't honestly for me living in idaho wasn't that miserable but the wind was was tough to deal with Uh, there was a serious wind chill going on and I think all the the Floridians were were feeling it much more than I was, but overall, still a good day. There were there were a lot of challenges with Daytona. Security once again was uh, tough. Um, where could you watch from? Where couldn't you watch from? No one really knew. A lot of the lines for will call caused a lot of people some some heart you know heartache. And uh, yeah, just uh, when you're switching over from a full felled event where they have everything dialed and they they do this week in and week out and they they kind of know the drill then you switch over to daytona and you have a new crew a new security and a lack of communication from that uh also with the track crew and we'll touch on that some was that was a challenge you have a new track crew and different people working on sections that 
they haven't gone through a lot of the tribulations of this season specifically that the normal Dirtworks crew has. So there were definitely some ripple effects from that, especially in the night show. But it's it's a unique race. Um, the turnout was pretty good. There were a lot of people there. And in the uh, the industry seating area, uh, as you know, this podcast is aptly named, it was overly packed. Uh, they had everybody crammed in there, and that was a, that was a bad call. Uh, you couldn't go onto the speedway without paying extra money. And they just had all these rules that, listen, I'm not a promoter. I've never put on a race. But I can tell you there were some really challenging aspects that, I think hopefully will be addressed for 2021. But overall, I had fun. I thought the racing was was great. Um, you know, the, especially the 450 main was just over the top. But let's uh, let's cover the 250s real quick. I mean, you have to start with Garrett Marchbanks, right? It just what an incredible ride from that kid. And I have watched Marchbanks ride for a long time. I watched him as an amateur. I can remember talking to Chris Onstott, who's who we all affectionately refer to as as Beaker, when he was his agent. This is going back to uh, I'm going to say 2015, maybe, at Mini Olympics, and and I remember going to Beaker and saying, hey, "Okay, how much is this kid going to cost?" Because he was so good uh, at Mini Olympics as an amateur, and Beaker's like, "Ah, I don't know. He's probably going to end up at Pro Circuit, so you know, you'll have to go there." And I was like, "All right," but just I've been watching him ever since, and. Last year wasn't great. It, it's been a rough go for his professional career, but he he <laughs> he made good on all of it last night in Daytona. And if anyone could say, "Oh, I saw that coming," you'd be lying. I think it's possible to say you saw a podium coming because his ride at Tampa was way better than we've ever seen. I talked to several people about it. It's just like he looks way more confident. You could tell all the hard work that he had put in with Ivan Tedesco in the off season was paying off but to think he was going to go out and dominate the main event like he did in Daytona I don't think anybody outside of maybe his team and his his inner circle would have called for that so congratulations to him congratulations to pro circuit bittersweet night for them Uh, Jordan Smith went out with an injury we don't really know yet how severe that is definitely some sort of foot ankle situation Um, and we'll touch on that crash here in a little bit but I just want to give a lot of credit to March Banks. He's stepping up, and uh, in my notes, I just wrote, you know, arrived with a question mark, and maybe that's yet to be seen. You know, Daytona is such a unique event that you can't really draw conclusions from it, but that was a hell of a step in the right direction, right? That's all you can want is improvement, and he's he's in a contract year. I think it's critical for him to step up because if you, re- if you get off of that factory equipment and – I don't want to say teams write you off, but if you if you can't make it at Pro Circuit, right, you don't succeed there, I think there's always a tendency for teams to look at you as like, man, he didn't he didn't make it happen at Mitch's team. You know, what how is that gonna work anywhere else, right? And that's not to say that Mitch has the ultimate program, but over, you know, the past couple of decades, most guys, if they find success, they're able to find it there. So I thought it was critical for him to do that. Um, if nothing else, he's going to be able to go to the negotiating table and go to teams next year and say, hey, we won Daytona, right? We we can do this as a, you know, I'm speaking for him and his parents and his, his whole program, but the potential is there. And that's really what, at his age, he's still young, teams have to see. They have to see that there's an ability to win. 
because that's what factory teams want. They don't care. There, there's no value to them to run around in 8, 9, 10, 11 in the 250 class. They just, it doesn't matter to them. I, I've been that guy. Trust me. I've, I've been running around 6, 7, 8 when it was the 125 class and, and asking teams to hire me. And they, you know, just basically say I'm not good enough. And I, I get it. I understand it. They're not wrong. So you have to be able to win. You have to be able to podium. And uh, he got it done. So great job by him. Uh, he's got to follow up on that now, obviously. But we'll see how that pans out in the uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, Sexton, solid ride, right? Second place. But didn't it just feel like he was going to catch March Banks at some point? I just kind of kept waiting for it and waiting for it because he's been so great and so solid that I was just like, all right, it's going to come. It's going to come. And it just never did. And he stayed. This, he kept the gap, but he was never able to close it down. He was never able to put pressure on March Banks. And I think that was really the the ultimate demise was March Banks was able to ride comfortably and choose his own lines. And he didn't have to think about, oh, I'm winning Daytona and I've got this guy all over me. He just never got into a high pressure situation. He was able to ride and, and pick his own line without ever worrying about anybody behind him. He never had to go into a corner and close off the entry because, you know, Sexton was there. So, that's a very comfortable way to race out front. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure Sexton feels like he left one on the table. But at the end of the day, when you take your points lead from 5 to 10, you know, you just have to look at the silver lining there and, and move forward. So uh, winning Daytona, there aren't always, you know, I don't think those chances come along all the time. So for him, he's probably like, dang it, you know, that's, this is a very historic Honda race, even though they don't sponsor it anymore. Uh, that Honda's always been a part of Daytona for years and years and years. So, and they put a lot of emphasis on Daytona. So I'm, I'm sure he wanted to go out there and win one. He's in a lot of negotiation right now for his inevitable move to the 450 class. So every win he can put up on the board is only going to drive his, his price higher. But it, you know, at the end of the day, still a good ride, solid. He beat, I, in my opinion, the guys he was mostly worried about, which would be first and more foremost, McElrath. And then of course, Hampshire, Beat both of them, and uh, yeah, just keep it moving, right? Going into his home race of Indy next weekend, and he's got a lot of momentum on his side. Uh, it should be mentioned, you know, he he voiced several times on uh, Saturday to Jason Wygant and other people that he was not having a good day, couldn't get the bike to work, uh, just wasn't it wasn't happening for him. So if if that's all going that way, and you have a pretty negative attitude about the event before the night show starts to get a second, I think is, uh, yeah, you just have to walk away and say, Hey, we'll take that. And we're going to, we're going to move this thing on. And hopefully he's on his way to, uh, for him, hopefully he's on his way as to his first championship. So, uh, McElrath, you know, um, just one of those things. Um, <laughs> he got the start, right. And I think on that first lap, those guys are just going for it because they knew track position was so critical. It was really, really hard to pass. And he made a really aggressive move on Jordan Smith in the first right-hand corner of the sand. And he blasted, kind of blasted Jordan out of the way. And you look at it, and if you just press, press pause right there, you're like, all right, you know, overly aggressive, almost crashed. But you got the job done, and now you're in second place. Unfortunately, you pissed Jordan Smith off. And he's going to come right back at you at the next right-hand sand corner, and both of you go down, right? And that's that's worst-case scenario. 
You know, it's there's so much um, urgency in those early laps in the 250 class to get out front. Well, Jordan was obviously seeing red and went in there and took both of them down. Jordan hurts himself in the process. Uh, but for McElrath, he just knocked a, a bunch of spots off of his position and he had to work up from the rear at that point. So I don't want to put too much blame on McElrath, but at the same time, I don't know that he had to force it on Jordan there that early. Um, maybe he was just like, I got it. I have to get up front now. And if I do, I can win the race comfortably, but really he kind of poked Jordan and then Jordan responded, you know, hyper aggressively and they both end up on the ground and one guy ruins his race and maybe more. And then McElrath loses points to, to Sexton in the end. So it, you're always, you know, um, I, I'm always careful with, um, being negative about aggression because I think there is certainly a place for it, but it goes to show you where sometimes you have to be smart on that first lap, you know, and um, there's a fine line there between, you know, being too cautious, which we've seen, let's say Ken Roxon be on the first lap. If he gets a bad start versus too aggressive and doing something stupid, that's going to ruin your race. So uh, one of those things, we saw a lot of that go on in the first lap this weekend, but it certainly cost McElrath any chance at a podium. Um, so moving on from that, uh, J-Mart, pretty good ride, right? Not bad. Uh, gets a podium, had to fight for it. He uh, he put in everything he could to get Hampshire at the end. Um, really strong ride by him. I thought he was going to be in play to win this thing. Unfortunately, he you know wasn't up there enough on the front, and I don't know that he had the pace of Marchbanks anyway. But still, this was a race I'm sure J-Mart had circled for a good result. And, yeah, Podium gets that done, gets his, his bike and his team and his name on the podium, puts a little cash in his pocket as well, uh, So and, and get a little confidence too, I'm sure. Um, and for all of us have been watching J-Mart's struggle back, um, yeah, I think we all cheer for J-Mart a little bit just because of the horrific back injury he uh, he suffered through. Hampshire. Man, uh, I feel like he left a podium on the table. He was third the entire race, and then J-Mark gets him with like a lap and a half to go. And it's his home race, home crowd, all that. You know, he's he's really good in those conditions. He grew up riding in the sand, and um, I was a little bummed for him. He made a couple of big mistakes where he didn't have pressure, and he had a gap, and those mistakes really allowed J-Mark to, to close down on him, and it kind of changed the race a little bit to where – you know, I was speaking on Marchbanks where he could ride his own race and choose his own lines without any worry. That's where it kind of changed for RJ as he made those mistakes and he allowed J-Mart to get to the back of him. And instead of racing forward and thinking about what you're doing, you start thinking a little bit more about what J-Mart's doing and the lines he's going to pick. And then everything starts to kind of unravel at that point. So again, not a horrible result, but you know, podiums are the name of the game in that 250 class. That's where the money's made. That's where the teams, everything, you know, lives and dies on, on those podium finishes. And, uh, you know, he was a lap and a half away and probably realizes, you know, he let one get away. But he's third in points. Uh, it's, you know, not all lost. I think he's 18 points down um, from the lead or something like that. I believe it's 18. But, uh, yeah, I, I think he's still in play to win one of these things. He just got to continue to get the starts. If if he can get the whole shot, uh, that's really where these 250 races are won and lost because there is so much parity 
at the front and you know it you don't have these powerhouse guys you know if, if sexton starts 15th for some reason he's not going to catch all the way up and win that's just very unlikely for the way these 250 guys are still maturing so if hampshire can put himself at the front over and over you know a race like that first main event at atlanta uh you can walk away with a win in a situation like that so not terrible um but yeah like i said probably left one out there sponsor wise i have the best sponsors pretty pumped on that um i bet steve mathis would argue a little bit with me but that's okay we share some of them i want to thank uh, pirelli tires uh josh whitmire got to see him this weekend that was cool they uh they swept the vulcan sward gp this weekend uh jeffrey hurlings and tom vial both on pirelli tires and uh yeah that's just kind of how they roll pretty darn good I, I got to see a couple of cool shots of their uh their scoop paddle-ish tire on the start and a track that's as deep as Vulcan Sward was, it's it's a must, right? And uh, there's a lot of innovation and tech and changes that go into that scoop and paddle tire trying to make it more versatile. But on a track like today, it kind of didn't matter. They were going to that tire no matter what. But uh, congratulations to Pirelli. I want to do a giveaway for those guys. The best uh, question that I get uh, this week before uh, I record after Indy, we'll get a set of Pirelli motocross tires and we'll get you dialed in on that. This will be the second set we've given away. So come up with some cool questions. Um, I have a list. Uh, I will not go over them today, but I'm going to go over more of them next week once I have a few more um, racked up. And I'll pick the best one I think is deserving. So thank you, Pirelli, for, uh, for all your help on that. Uh, Plum Creek Funding. Zach Morris is uh, a friend of mine, but he's also, you know, he's he's in business. And I, I talk to him a lot about what's going on with the market right now. It's pretty crazy, as probably you can imagine. This coronavirus has the stock market going up and down. Well, Federal Reserve cut rates again uh, this past week. They're the lowest they've ever been, like ever. So what does that mean for you? That means it's prime time opportunity to refinance your house. So there's a lot of you, like myself, that have done a refinance in the last few years. It's worth, even if you've done it in the last few years, it's worth looking again because for myself, my last rate I got was 4%. And uh, that you can get lower than that. Now You can get low threes and maybe even lower than that. So uh, it's worth doing. It can save you a ton of money. But at worst case scenario, I think it's worth a phone call to Zach Morris Talk to him, walk him through your situation and see if there's an opportunity because I don't know if you guys have ever broken down how much money is is spent on interest on your home. It's unbelievable. So at worst, let him, you know, kind of take a look at your situation and he can make a recommendation if it, you know, and he's a, he's a good guy, right? He's not going to just sell you on something and blindly lead you into refi. But if there's an opportunity for you to save a lot of money over the next 10, 20, 30 years, you definitely need to do it. I know Steve Mathis is talking to him as we speak about refinancing the house I'm sitting in. So uh, reach out to Zach. I can get you his phone number. Uh, it's Plum Creek Funding. You can uh, Google it as well. But I just want to uh, had to mention that that's a big deal with the, the, the rates the way they are right now. He's licensed in California, Colorado, and Nevada. But uh, he can probably recommend someone in your state if it's elsewhere. And at worst, like I said, give you some uh, some really good advice on saving yourself some money. Blends all oils. 
Uh, you know, this it's go time for these guys. They're in Daytona. They're at the Vintage Supercross upcoming. That's uh, going to be on Tuesday. They're at Day in the Dirt South. That's going on at Dade City, a track I grew up riding on. So they're they're very much in this two-stroke world, which I know Steve Mathis loves, right? Not. Um, but they have so many products that are simply better for two-strokes than probably what you're using. And they're making their big comeback, right? Blends all historic in this industry and, and the car industry as well. Well, David Schloss wants to make them, for, you know, first and foremost again. Bring them back to the to the front of everybody's mind. They have Michael Lessie, so he'll be racing uh, the Dan the Dirt South two-stroke race and then the uh, two-stroke world championships on a, on a Blenzol two-stroke. So that'll be exciting. But uh, give them a look. You know, check them out. They probably have some things that your dad used to use is the funny thing. Uh, but they have that the heritage and tradition to uh, to get back in this and be a player again. You can buy it at your local dealer. WPS distributes it, uh, but you can go to blendsall.com as well. Work Connection. So these guys, to me, they have everything you need to maintain resale value on your bike, right? So what are the things that wear out? All the, the controls, your clutch purchase, uh, what the frame gets all beat up, so you put uh, frame guards on, skid plate, all the things that just put a lot of wear and tear on your bike. I think Works Connection does a great job of saving your bike. So when you do go to trade it in, it looks still looks great. And you can get maximum retail and trade-in value for it. Uh, obviously, I've been talking about the Pro Launch Start device too. Uh, check that out. But Works Connection, they, ju- they have a little bit of everything. But I think when I think of those guys, I think of quality. And nothing leaves their building without you know it being able to be run on a factory race bike. And that's pretty cool. Not every company out there is like that. There are a lot of people cutting corners in this industry, and uh, Worst Connection is just not one of those guys. So check them out. Fly Racing, obviously. We launched the Kinetic Mesh Racewear at Daytona, so that was cool. I was hoping Blake Baggett would get up on the podium with that stuff, but was not meant to be. He had a tough go, big crash on the start, but um, then RJ, <laughs> RJ almost got on the podium. That didn't happen either, but if you guys saw it this weekend, all the vented stuff, it's you know, we release it at Daytona for summer. Lots of new colors. Had a really cool new Instagram video on Fly Racing USA. Uh, but check out Kinetic Mesh. That was the the big launch for this weekend. And then last but not least, Premier Vapor Blasting. Uh, those guys are my newest partner. And uh, so he gave me a little information for this week. So the, the big difference with vape, Premier Vapor Blasting is... They're a little bit safer as far as your surface restoration, right? They're not going to damage things out there, and that's always the risk. Anytime you send these parts or, let's say, even something like rubber off, there's a chance that it's going to get harmed in the process. Uh, this is the safest method on the market. Uh, it's gentle enough, even for, like, radiator fins, right? You're not going to damage anything like that. So if you do send anything to Premier Vapor Blasting of Georgia, you get a 25% discount if you mention the Industry Seating Podcast. So... If your bike looks a little hammered, send it off to send your parts off to Premier Vapor Blasting. Get that thing looking awesome again. Send your the, I think honestly the coolest thing, and I mentioned this last week on their Instagram, they have a pair of boots on there, and they looked haggard in the in the before photo, and then they they did their magic, and <laughs> they look like they have a brand new pair of boots. So, uh, pretty cool stuff they do. I didn't honestly even know this was possible to turn you know whether. It, whether it parts or gear or whatever, turn it around like this, but uh, pretty cool. 
innovation they have going there. So check, check those guys out and uh, see if maybe they have something that uh, fits the bill for you. Anyway, back to the racing. Um, 450 class. I mean, all of you that watched it, you saw how awesome that was. And, you know, I was there in the moment, a little bit cold. I'll mention that. But I was kind of watching it. We're getting to halfway. Roxon's got a 10-plus second lead. This Webb-Anderson-Tomac battle that's not really a battle is kind of happening. And I'm like, okay, like, is anything going to happen? Like, are these guys going to even challenge each other? Is there going to be any passing? Are they just going to cruise around here, right? And I didn't know where that was going to go because it was it was almost like they were all waiting to kick this thing off. And then all of a sudden, I think what started it, Webb made a move, got into second, and he dropped his lap time to a high 110. And that was almost like the shooting a flare off for a let's go. And my biggest question was, can Tomac, can he answer that that charge, right? Because they were all running around that 111, 112, 113 lap time. And they all seemed to be marking each other. And they were all trying, I'm sure, as hard as they could. But no one could seem to really make up any time on the other guy. So it was this chess match a little bit of, is this all the pace you have? Is this all the pace I have? Daytona's a really long race. When do I uncork this thing and and drop the hammer well when Webb did that 110 as I said everything changed and he made a move on Anderson got to second and then Tomac was like all right I gotta go and he went up and matched pace with Webb and they just took off after Roxon and then everything started happening really fast right so you're you're in the moment you're wondering okay Roxon sees these guys because if you're in the main event and you're out there and for those of you who haven't been in this scenario if you've raced at all you know what it feels like to mark someone and you can tell if they're catching you or if you're pulling on them and for Roxon at that point in the race he's just trying to keep the status quo as long as those guys aren't catching him he doesn't have to do anything crazy or try anything more he can just hit, keep hitting his lines keep doing the same thing well Webb, when Webb stepped it up and then Tomac went with him that puts pressure on Roxon to match that pace. And I was wondering, I didn't know how much Roxon had left in the tank. Like, is he chilling and he can drop to a 110 or is he on the limit? And if they come for him, he's in trouble. Well, I think it was a, a little bit of both. Webb was not able to sustain that 110. Like, he put in a couple heaters, closed the gap some, but then Tomac was just like, all right, it's time for me to go after Roxon. And, like, Webb... Thanks for the signal. You know, you kind of kick this this party off, but I got to go. He passes Tomac, or he passes, Tomac passes Webb, and then he sets off after Roxon. And for all the Roxon fans out there, which he's he's arguably the most popular rider in the sport worldwide right now, I think it was a feeling of dread and the inevitable Tomac charge was coming. And I was watching the lap time super closely, and it was seriously unbelievable to me in the second half of the race watching Tomac drop his lap time over and over and over and he went 110 like high 110 and just kept lowering it and lowering it and lowering it and he was setting the best lap of the race and we're talking like 15 minutes in the track is hammered ruts are all jacked up whoops are getting all you know cupped out and, and they're like you could see guys kicking to the side because it's all ruddy all the way down they're not able to rail those the uh, little chicane option lines. You could see how jacked up they were. They're barely able to make it over these jumps. 
and he's just going faster and faster and faster. And if you're rocks and you're just like, come on, man, like really? Like how are you going faster than we were on the first lap when the track was really good? Like it just doesn't make any sense. But that is the the animal that Eli Tomac is. That's what he does at Daytona. And he, you know, he's won what, four now? And it could have been five. You know, Brayton did a miraculous job of holding him at bay that year. I mean, Eli's approaching one of the best Daytona racers ever. And he proved it. I mean, he he cut down a 12-second gap to Ken Roxon, which doesn't seem like it should even be possible. And he won the race. And it was such a statement. You know, and, I, and I'm trying not to be victim of the moment because I think we all expected Eli to win. But there are certain moments in every championship where you really feel like it's a pivotal moment where the momentum can swing. And I don't, I don't believe that Eli swung the momentum by winning Daytona because I think we all expected him to win to Daytona. But I do believe that Ken Roxon had a chance if he won, I think it would have been such a bigger statement than if Eli won. And I know that really doesn't make sense, but if you think about the nuance of it, you know, Kenny, he's, I don't know if he's ever won Daytona. I should probably know that, but I don't think he has. And for, to do the unexpected, to go into a race where everyone's handing it to Eli before the gate drops and go in and steal it, that would have been huge, right? Eli overcame it and made it happen, but I, I felt like Kenny had a really big opportunity to send a clear message to Eli, like, hey, dude, I had just beat you at your best track. What are you What are you going to do about that? And uh, that's not the way it went, as we know. But uh, that those are the things that were kind of running through my mind as I was watching Eli just put in these unbelievable laps and reeling Kenny in. So great job from both of those guys. I, they put on a heck of a show. Um, you know, I'm sure Kenny was a little disappointed, but he sh- he shouldn't be. Man, he rode his his heart out. Crazy good ride. He was fast all day. His lap times in practice were crazy good. Um, he just, yeah, he just wasn't quite as good as Eli. And yeah, that's, I don't know that many people have been as good as Eli at Daytona. He's just a different, different level racer at Daytona. So, um, I thought it absolutely delivered great way to end the night. Uh, Webb, great ride from him too. Uh, pretty solid there. Anderson was super strong too. And those four kind of separated themselves. And, uh, I think they should all be commended because that track was really difficult to ride. It jumped up and bit people all night long. And, uh, yeah, they, I don't want to say they made it look easy, but they certainly look pretty darn good. Uh, the battle for the final podium spot was really strong. Um, you know, Anderson was pressuring Webb big time coming up to the finish line. He sent it off the jump before the finish. (laughs) I think he jumped like four or five in the last lap, just, you know, desperation trying to get on the podium. Wasn't able to do it. Um, someone trying to pass Webb on the last lap I mean it's like good luck to you the guy just knows everywhere you're going to go and everything you're going to try before you even do but uh, I thought they all rode incredibly well and uh, even for Anderson in fourth doesn't get the podium recognition or the bonus but I thought he turned in a a really respectable ride and uh, he should be proud of it Barsha ends up fifth not bad you know um the tough part is, you know, now he's fourth in points, and I think he still believes himself as a championship contender. Unfortunately, he's slipping further and further back, and uh, he's gotta, he's just gotta turn the tide. If that's gonna be reality, he's gotta win. He's gotta go to like Indy and win the race, and, and 
completely change the way this is going for him. And I don't know that that's possible. You know, I, I think Daytona was much more difficult than he expected. You know, he had his hands full with Aaron Plessinger the whole race and Aaron was ahead of him most of the race. And, uh, so I don't think that was what he really drew up, you know, cause remember he was ahead of these guys. He was ahead of Webb. He was ahead of Tomac. He was ahead of Anderson and those guys all passed him. So that's not probably a good feeling, but he still got fifth. It wasn't catastrophe. It's just, I'm trying to put it in the perspective of he wants to win this championship, not get fifth, right? He He's not thinking, yeah, that was a good ride. Fifth, great, right? He's thinking, I'm third in points going in. I want to get back in this championship fight. So if you're looking at it in that lens, it wasn't a great night. Uh, and I'm sure he probably wasn't thrilled to have to deal with his teammate for most of that main event. And also Dean Wilson was catching them too. So there were, there were a lot of things to kind of take as a negative, but at the end of the day, you just got to keep moving. You got to keep putting the work in and you got to go to Indy with a positive outlook and, and think you can get on the podium just like you did in Atlanta, right? You're one week removed from a second place finish. So shout out to Plessinger. Good ride from him. Dino as well. Uh, those guys all rode strong. They just didn't really have anything for the guys at the front. And yeah, nobody, nobody really did. So that's not a, not too bad of a deal. Um, so let's jump into our power ranking top 10. Um, Plessinger, who I just mentioned makes his debut and, uh, I've been looking at him a little bit. You you think coming out of Atlanta, he gets a seventh. Crazy good ride. I mean, really, really impressive. And it's better than I have given him credit for over the last couple of years. Um, I've been, I don't want to say pessimistic, but I've been a little down on his performance. And I think that's fair. I don't think he's given many people reason to be optimistic. Well, whatever's going on, whether it's just getting healthy or whether the bike's that much better, he is a different rider, and uh, he should be commended for that. He's kind of dug himself out of a pretty deep hole, and he's in a contract year. He really needs to put rides like this in, whether he stays at you know Monster Energy Yamaha, I don't know. But there are teams that, looking at rides like last night at Daytona and rides like Atlanta, they're going to be interested in that. That's They're okay with top 10s, right? Look at Justin Brayton. Look at... Uh, like a Rocky Mountain KTM team or wherever, like that number two spot, unless you're Adam Cincerillo, uh, the expectation is just be in the top 10, and that's pretty solid. So I think he's he's on to something. He's building. He's getting better. And that's a really, really critical aspect of this 2020 season is get better and show that you have potential still. Because 2019, he didn't really show that. I was kind of going into this 2020 season – and my, really my reaction was kind of, uh-oh, like, where is this going to go? I was really worried about the the direction of his career going into this year. But he's turned it around, and there, there's a lot to be said for that. I have uh, Justin Brayton at number nine. Unfortunately, I don't think we're going to see Justin Brayton at Indy. Uh, I believe he has a broken hand. I have not seen x-rays or have that confirmed, but I'm pretty positive he has a broken hand. In a last lap incident with Vince Freezy, which sucks, sucks for everybody. So we'll see what this week brings, but I would not be shocked if he's uh, he's out for a while. So sucks for JB. It's a last lap, and um, yeah, bummer deal. But we'll wait for more news on that. Dean Wilson, I have at eight. Dean rode strong, uh, seventh place in the main event. He caught up to that Barsha Plessinger battle. Wasn't able to do anything with him, but he rode strong. 
And Dean's kind of always been good at Daytona. You remember, go back to the stew battles he had when he was filling in for Chad Reed on the 2-2 Motorsports Kawasaki. He's always had skills at Daytona. He has a lot of technical ability, like wheeling bumps and doing all kinds of crazy tricks that are always beneficial at a track like Daytona. He has those those skills in spades, so that helps him. Um, I think his long legs and the whoops help him as well. He can go faster through the nasty sections than some other guys can. So good drive from Dean. Um, that's two Rockstar Husky 450s inside the top seven. And uh, with Zach Osborne on the mend, I think they would take that. Mookie, I still have in that, uh, what is that, seven? <clears throat> yeah, seven. And I don't know what to make of Mookie. And I, I've mentioned this a couple times. I just don't know what to do with Mookie's season. On one hand, it's great. Like, he's healthy. He's not on the couch, which he was last year. But I haven't seen Mookie go fast. Like, Mookie, to me, if you wrote down Mookie's name in the parentheses next to it, it would say, crazy balls fast. He's going to do something that's going to blow your mind on a motorcycle, right? That's just, they are synonymous. I just haven't seen it this year. And I don't know, I don't know, it's got to be on purpose. It has to be because... I think he's finally got it through his mind that for sustainability, you can't take huge chances all the time because they're going to bite you. I don't know if that's a Tony Alessi influence. I don't know if that's a Big James influence, uh, but somebody's got through to him. Maybe he just learned it on his own. But my question is, is what's he's, I think he's got to find a happy medium of pushing it a little bit to get into that top five because Yes, you know, he got eighth place in the main event. No problem. That's okay. It's good. If he wants to stay on, Moto, you know, the Bullfrog's Balls, Moto Concepts, Smart Top, Honda. I, I hate these team names. They're brutal. Um, but that's where you're going to end up if you're an eighth. And I guess maybe you could end up on a second spot of a factory team. You could end up for sure on a team like Rocky Mountain, uh, WPS KTM. Um, but I think if you want to for sure get yourself on a factory level effort you've got to show more you've got to lead heat races you've got to put yourself in podium contention Uh, that's what's going to get on people's radar that's what's going to get teams and sponsors excited and what can happen is a a sponsor can go to a team and say hey we want Mookie we want you to that kid's exciting he gets everybody out of their seat he gets he's a, a buzz you know air quotes around buzz rider where everybody's talking about him but that's the kind of stuff Mookie used to be getting people's attention with, right? It's not happening right now. And uh, so I, I don't know what to do with it. I, I I totally understand him wanting to stay healthy. And that was a big thing for me is I didn't want to get hurt. I was happy. <laughs> I should have probably tried harder, but I was happy to ride around in 12th, trying as hard as I could, but not doing anything stupid, going for a higher position that was going to probably land me in the hospital. So anyway, it's just what I noticed. And I don't know what if it's right or wrong it, but it's definitely something that's going on it's i don't think it's deniable at this point you know we're halfway through and we really haven't seen huge mookie crashes which is a good thing but we also haven't seen mookie leading races very often either which is a bad thing sixth place i kept hill here even with the ninth place in the main event i just like what i've seen from hill uh he's just been solid um this wasn't a flashy you know uh justin hill race but um I don't really necessarily think Daytona is where he's going to show that off either. 
Uh, it, you know, Daytona is so much about gnarly fitness and just overcoming the conditions. That, to me, doesn't scream Justin Hill. He's more finesse, and uh, he just can do some things that other people can on the bike. But, yeah, just hammering through rough, gnarly sections isn't necessarily what I mean with that either. So I'm going to leave him at six uh, just based on his his consistency. He was he did get third in one of the main events at Daytona last week, so that weighs pretty heavily on this. And I just like what I've seen from him. I like the effort I've seen, the fitness. And uh, he's just there week in and week out right now. Fifth, I have Jason Anderson. And I've been harping on this a little bit. Um, I don't know if it's a motivation thing. Maybe it was a motivation thing before the season. But he doesn't have that extra 1%. And listen, I I get it. Like I can't even imagine how hard it is to have the extra 1% that Roxon and Tomac have. Or even Webb sometimes. But it just it's there, right? If you've been watching the races closely, you see it. In 2018, when he was winning races... He was winning them at the end of the race. He was going in, making it happen, last lap passes. He was the fastest guy some weekends. That's not really happening this year. He's been good, yes. He's in podium contention, yes. Uh, This weekend was a fourth. All good, no problem. But if you're going to be the Supercross champion, if you're going to go out and make me, which I did say in 2018, I'm going to say he's the best guy in the sport right now. That's That was coming out of my mouth in 2018. You're going to have to have that little bit extra that I'm not seeing him from, from him right now. And that, nothing wrong with it. It's, it's fine. It's just not going to put him at the front week in and week out. And it's going to have him in, let's see, what is he in, uh, fifth in points? Yeah, fifth in points, right? He's uh, 56 points out of the lead. So that just kind of tells you what I'm getting at is, we're a little over halfway through and he's two races down, you know, from the points lead. And that's just kind of how it's been this year for Anderson. Uh, number four, I have Barsha. He's also fourth in points. And you're going to, that's going to be a familiar pattern the rest of the way here, but, uh, not a bad ride, not a good ride either. I don't think you could say it was a, a good ride from Barsha to be fifth because he was in a better position than that and moved backwards. Um, but still a good season from him. He's going to get a factory ride again, in my opinion, because of this season so yeah just keep it moving and and as as I said a few minutes ago just try to go in and try to win Indy that's all you can really do it's going to be totally different than Daytona nothing about Indy is going to resemble Daytona other than the guys you're racing against so just go try to win that race number three is Cooper Webb (laughs) I wrote in my notes really good that's great insight right that's just over the top super insightful really really in depth i'm proud of that note i wrote really good right that's just idiotic on my end but uh to me i don't think he's getting the opportunities that he did last year we have a much better ken roxon than we did last year so that's certainly affecting him he's not able to pass ken roxon on the last lap to win the race like he did at a2 and at arlington kenny's just not really having that right now and then Eli Tomac's more consistent, and he's not blowing it yet, right? We have to always throw in that yet, like he did last year. So I think Cooper's had a little bit more adversity this year. That huge crash he had at Arlington. Um, he has been he was sick at the beginning of the season. He threw up that 12th on the board at St. Louis, which definitely hurt his point situation. Um, it just hasn't been as smooth of a run in 2020 as it was for 2019. But still really good, as my very uh, astute note said very very good 
Uh, second place in my power ranking is Ken Roxon. You know what? He tried to execute the game plan. And I think Kenny, every single weekend, when he lines up, he's like, okay, I'm going to get the whole shot, and I'm going to dip out on these guys. I'm going to put in heroic laps at the beginning, and I'm going to get gone while Tomac and these guys are battling back from you know fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, or worse. And I'm, it's going to be over. By the time they look up and get to near the front, I'm going to be gone, and there's going to be nothing they can do about it. And that's what he tried to do this weekend, and he absolutely did it. To, to put up a 10-plus second lead on everybody, that's what you're trying to do. Those guys couldn't really see him unless they were you know lifting their head and looking around for him. So he nailed it as far as that goes. He just couldn't account for this superhuman Eli Tomac Daytona effort that we see. you know. And yeah, it's all right. I don't think you should get down about it. There, you know, there are just going to be times in your career regardless of the sport you're in, where you just have to tip your cap to the other guy and say, hey, man, that was awesome. Like, I did everything right. I did what I was trying to do. You were just a little better tonight. And I think that's where you have to go in on Daytona because I think he proved a point. Like, he can go fast. He can race with Eli on any track that Eli wants to go to, and he can give him everything he wants. So I think Kenny should hold his head high. He should be happy about his effort. Understand that, yeah, okay, maybe I missed an opportunity to win this thing, but I was damn good. And I, I told everyone, I told the world that I was going to go after Eli at Daytona at a track he's been dominant on, and he did. He was fastest all day, He and he raced out to a 10-plus second lead. He just couldn't quite hold on to it at the end. So I don't think there's anything on Kenny's end to be worried or bummed about. I think he should even be optimistic that he's that close to Eli on arguably Eli's best track. So good job from Kenny. Um, it's going to be a little bit of a bummer that he's not going to be at any of these dealer open houses the rest of the year. Um, I obviously, in my fly racing position, am very involved in those events, and uh, I know how big of a draw Kenny is for a lot of those events. So that's going to be a bit of a bummer. But, hey, this coronavirus is for real, and I'm going to cover that here in a minute. Um, but as far as Kenny goes, great job from him. And I'm, I'm just happy to see him and this title chase. We're, we have a three-point gap. And we're, you know, what, 10 or, 10 or 11 races into this thing. That doesn't happen every year, so we should be very thankful for that. Obviously, number one is, is Eli Tomac. He killed it. Um, whatever superlative you want to throw onto this race for him, he deserves. Uh, I mean, him going into the low 110s as late as he was into the race, there are just there's really no explanation for that other than he's just a bad, bad dude. Um, I think he is approaching... Excuse me. He's approaching this uh, all-time Daytona status that guys like Carmichael and Stanton and some of these guys have. I think he's right there, right? Um, he's and he's not done. So, good job from him. I think he just proved himself once again that when he's on and when he finds his rhythm, and that's the key thing. I think when he gets his rhythm, and there's a there is a very big difference between him riding hard and him in the groove, and it's about two seconds a lap. And once he hit it, it was over for those guys. He negated a 10-second-plus gap and reeled in the race winner or the race leader and went on to win another Daytona so, and took take the points lead back in the process. So kudos to Eli. Very, very impressive ride from you. Um, we're going to have him on the Pulp Show tomorrow night, so that's going to be awesome. I've really never spoken to Eli. Uh, that'll be interesting. I'm, I have some questions I don't know. I, I'm not as pressing as Steve would be, 
but I've literally never really spoken to Eli. I've spoken to his dad, John, quite a bit. Always been great to me. We've had some some pretty cool conversations, um, but I've never spoken to Eli. So that'll be interesting. See how that goes. But um, I'm sure that was a very positive weekend from him. Nice bounce back from all the drama that he was dealing with after Atlanta, all the social media videos and all the noise that was going on leaving Atlanta. Guess what? He didn't deal with any of it. He didn't have to deal with Barsha trying to take him out. Baggett didn't even race the main event because of the first turn crash, and he went out and put in one of the greatest Daytona rides I've ever seen. So that's one way to shut everybody up and quiet all that useless and nonsense useless useless noise and nonsense that was everywhere in the sport leaving atlanta so that's it for daytona uh good race a lot of difficult things as i mentioned at the beginning about daytona i know steve was just hammering on this stuff you know probably we'll talk about it a lot over the next two days on these shows but uh, i know he's had some challenges at daytona he's probably going to be relentless on that uh, but overall, I had a good time. I always enjoy going back to Daytona. I'm from that area. Good to see friends and family and all that stuff. Um, I just wish they could clean up some of the difficulties that Daytona presents. But I guess it's always been that way and probably always will with the uh, the changeover from, from Feld to Daytona International Speedway. But, yep, it's Daytona. And uh, it's always going to be a little bit unique that way. So, MXGP. I got to watch that. I watched a little bit on the plane, and then I watched uh, the rest of it when I got out to Vegas. Just trying to fight through, barely getting any sleep. Um, watching four more motos plus the main events from last night. Doing prep for this industry seating podcast. But the uh, the MX2 class, it was pretty good. I don't think the racing was all that great. The end of the first moto was pretty good. Um, Vial had some goggle issues and then that allowed Yago Geertz to go up and pass him. But, uh, the track was track was a pile of crap. As you guys saw, it was wet, ruddy, just nasty European weather. I mean, for those of you who haven't been to Europe a lot, the months from let's say November till April or May, it's just a, it's just crap. There's no other way to put it. It's gray most of the time. It's wet, snowy. It's rainy. It's cold. It's not a good time. It's it's really not somewhere you want to go hang out. You know, the holidays are cool. Like, if you're going to go to Christmas in Munich, that's badass. I, I'll be the first one to say that. If you want to go snow skiing in the Alps, awesome. Such a good time. But if you're going to go try to go moto at, like, Wommel, in January, yeah, no thank you. That sucks. That's not a good time. And that's basically they're right down the road in Balkansward this weekend. And, yes, it's March, but it was rainy. It was cold. Matterly last week in England was the same. I don't think anybody was really having a good time. All the diehard Moto fans, which Moto rules in that part of the world, you know, Belgium, Holland, they're all out there braving the elements, but I don't think it was very much fun. So watching the race wasn't all that pleasing, right, visually. But I'm hardcore moto. It's all all I really know. So I was digging deep into it, really trying to look at people's racecraft and how they're approaching the track. And, you know, there are big points out there to be had for these guys in these these uh, muddy races, right? There, there's such a ch- big chance for big points to be made because guys are crashing. They can't see. Their bikes blow up. Everything can go wrong at a race like this versus just a dry race. So case in point, Vial 
gives up a few points in that first moto, but he hangs in there. And then the second moto, uh, Yago Geertz, as he's prone to do, has a huge crash on the start and is way back. He's in like 30th at one point. Well, Geertz is so good in conditions like that. He fights his, all the way back, his way all the way back to 7th. But if you're a Vial, you go win the second moto by a huge margin, and, and you're, I believe he's the points leader now. I don't have it right in front of me. But you go win a race in the mud and the sand where everybody was handing that to one of the Dutch or Belgian riders, like, right? Everybody's handing that race probably to Yago going in because he's so good in those conditions. And he probably would have won. If you watch him ride that second moto coming from the back, he probably would have won. But that's why they hold the races. Crashes happen. You put yourself in a bad spot on the first lap, which he did. And you can't see anything. There's mud and dirt flying everywhere, and you make a mistake and crash just like he did. Where Vial is out front, just like every time, and he's got a clear track, and he can see where he's going, and he makes life very, very easy for himself. And that's kind of how I see this championship going. Vial always puts himself at the front. You know, last year he came out of nowhere. He wasn't expected to do a lot, and he's battling for second the championship. You know, he's he's leading races, almost wins the uh, Chinese uh, GP last year, which I was at. You see the difference this year without Jorge Prado. Vial's putting himself at the front, and there's nobody there. There is nobody who can consistently start with him and go with him. And I just think the championship's going to go that way. I think he's going to put himself up there so many times that he's going to put way too much pressure on everybody else to be consistent because the guys like Jed Beaton and Geertz and Olsen and, you know, take your pick, Hofer, um, who else? I'm trying to think of the, the key guys in there, but that covered a f- several of them. Mosteik, he didn't have a good weekend, which I kind of expected him to. These guys are not getting it done as far as consistency. And Vial's he's already got a points lead, right? He's going to keep putting these results up as we saw last year. They've got to they've got to match consistency and the only way I think they can do that is to figure out the starts the way Vial has. And I don't know that it's possible. I think he has a significant equipment advantage. I think he has the the best overall effort. And obviously, MX, KTM for MX2 is one over and over and over. So that's not really breaking news. But I, don't, I just don't see how, unless disaster strikes, that Vial is not going to continually put himself in a position to win these races. I can't stress enough how important he was to win a race like Valkensward in the mud, where that that's a, a deficiency for him, right? That's a race where everybody's going to point to and say, hey, a race like that where it's pouring down rain and it's muddy and nasty, that's where we have to make up points on Vial. And especially for Geertz, right? He's going to know going into this Sunday today that he had an opportunity to not only keep the, the red plate, which he had going in, but put a lot of pressure on Vial. And Vial said he had none of it, right? He went out and he won the race. He almost won both motos. So uh, really, really big statement from Vial. And uh, for those of you who are kind of just getting into this MXGP dynamic and learning about these guys, uh, the French guys like Vial, they don't ride sand and mud very often. A guy like Maxime Renault, even though he, he lives close to Belgium and rides it more, French guys ride hard pack. They ride dusty, dry tracks all the time, rocky. That's their forte. As they get older, they probably move to Belgium because that's where all the teams are based. So a guy like Gautier Paulin, 
he's really good at it now because he's lived there for years and years and he's put, you know, just thousands of laps in and he's, he's honed his skills, but the young kids, uh, they don't have that yet. They're still learning. And for a guy like Vial to step up and win that race, I think was a big statement for the MXGP class. Uh, I mean, kind of expected Hurlings to win, right? He did. But for those of you who haven't watched the race yet, you got to go watch Moto One. Tim Geiser in the first moto blew my mind. I was watching it in the airport in Orlando this morning, and I couldn't believe. No, it was in uh, it was in Atlanta. Uh, I was on a plane connecting, come to Vegas in Atlanta. I couldn't believe what I was watching. He was so fast. He had thirty third gate pick because his bike broke on the qualifying day, and he was he was in second by the end of the first lap, and then he blew past Hurlings and Jessiconis. And uh, who else was up there? Uh, why is my, am I drawing a blank? Can't remember who was winning. But he blew past all of those guys and went to the front and was like, yep, see ya. I mean, like nothing. Like, they, he was so much faster than those guys. And he was kind of riding around the outsides where they had fixed the track. He was carrying so much momentum. And you just don't see people go around hurlings and blow past them the way he did. And I think he was probably overjoyed i'm sure his team was just losing their minds and i'm sure hurlings also was like huh like no one does this to me i don't know that i've ever seen anybody pass him and just walk away from jeffrey hurlings like that so it was a huge statement that's where jeffrey hurlings lives he right he lives right down the road from that balkan sport facility everyone there was pulling for hurlings so to do that to him in that first moto like that was a huge statement I was I cannot stress how impressed I was, cannot stress enough how impressed I was with that first moto ride from from Geiser. So all the pressure was on him to back that up because, you know, it's only one moto. Hurlings got second. And I think Hurlings like, okay, you know, what do you got, Geiser? Can you back that up? And uh they got out together and Hurlings didn't drop him the way that Geiser did to Hurlings in the first moto, but he held him at bay. You know, that lead was always around that five second mark. And you're kind of waiting to see if Geiser was going to really put in a charge, and he did. With a few laps to go, he really sent it, and he ended up crashing his brains out, which Geiser's prone. You know, he just has a tendency to do. That's what. That's the worry always with Geiser. Is he going to toss it away, just pushing the limit too far? You know, and you hate to say riding over his head because he's a world champion, but just taking too many chances. And he did. He crashed with uh, maybe three minutes to go. And I think he was just putting in a big effort to see if he could get to him, get to, up to the back of Hurlings. He still got second, you know, nothing lost, but man, he had a big get off. And you're just always waiting for one of those crashes to end up in an, with an injury. He's somehow able to avoid it. He's somehow able to get up and, and keep going. Um, but every time I'm like, oh man, I see him flipping and I'm like, that, he has to be hurt, right? And he's not, he's fine. Um, so I'm happy for it. I want to see a, a fight. I want to see these guys battle it out. And I love to see how fast Geiser can go because if you know anything about Jeffrey Hurlings, he believes himself to be, and he's probably not wrong. He believes himself to be the fastest person on earth at all times. So for a guy like Tim Geiser to come around him and just leave him, that's a, that's a psychological shot across Hurlings' bow. And I don't think Hurlings takes that lightly. Uh, I would bet there were some Dutch curse words being uttered in his helmet uh, as Geiser was riding away from him in that first moto. So I love to see the chess match going back and forth. 
Their next round, they go to Argentina. That's a great round. I mean, just picturesque track. Uh, I think you're going to see a little bit more battling. I think maybe Cairoli can get into the fight. Uh, DeSalle's very good at that track, too. Um, and then, obviously, Geiser and Hurlings were just on a different level in the mud and muck this weekend. Um, but I'm hoping for a little bit more battling from the guys we haven't seen too much from at a track like Argentina that's a little bit faster, and it, we've just seen really, really good battling over the years. So excited for that first flyaway in a couple weeks from now. Uh, Cairoli, I have here, as you know, in my notes, as just surviving. Uh, he has a PCL injury, and, uh, yeah, it's unfortunate. He's beat up, and you can just see it in his riding. He's not really going for it. He's not taking any chances. I think he's just hoping to get to the break right now. He's going to have a weekend off to do some more rehab, do some more therapy, and heal a little bit so he can take some chances, you know, because it's always – I think if you're going to go try to beat Geiser and Hurlings, you can't hold anything back. You can't be cautious. You can't keep your foot on the pegs when you need to stick it out to, to rail through a corner. You just have to be at 100-plus percent. And you can tell Cairo is not willing to risk it right now because that knee is bothering him. So I'm hoping he gets better. And going into Argentina, I'm hoping he can absolutely lay it on the line and get into the fight. Jessiconis, uh, it's a rider I haven't, I've never met him, never talked to him. I've watched him a lot, uh, but he's really good at these sand races. Uh, when the conditions are really crappy, he gets a lot better. So he goes three three on the day. He won the qualifier on Saturday. When I was at Lommel last year, so August of 2019, he was so good in time qual- time qualifying, right? Time practice. He was so fast. He was doing things like blowing through sand sections. He's a big dude, so he obviously just manhandles the bike. But I was kind of waiting for that result to show up on race day, and we really never saw it last year. So he finally gets that, you know, goes 3-3, solid podium finish. Um, so that was good to see for him and his team. Uh, he rides for uh, the Rockstar Ice One Husky team, uh, Antti Perinen over there. I used to race against him, so happy to see those guys get some uh, some positive results on the weekend. Uh, who else here? Sean Simpson. So Sean's a guy I know fairly well. Uh, he was a longtime fly racing rider. He has since made a switch as he started his own race team for 2020. But uh, I have a soft spot in my heart for Sean and glad to see him put in some good results. He had a big crash in the first one, but the second moto, he puts up a fourth, which is a good result for Sean. He rides this crappy condition really well. Uh, he's won motos on tracks like that so it wasn't a shock you know he kind of blew it in the first one because he had a really good chance for a strong overall but for him to be at the front when conditions are that bad is it's not surprising at all it's almost expected so I was just happy to see him uh, turn in some good results because it's been a it's been a minute for Sean he had a good race at motocross the nations in similar conditions but last season overall was just uh, a really difficult proposition And, uh, yeah, he's one of the good guys, so glad to see him uh, get some positive results. Um, So, yeah, MXGP, I don't know what's going to happen here. They just postponed the uh, Trentino round, which was supposed to be early April. They pushed that back to the middle of July. So, for me, uh, I'm scheduled to go to Italy in uh, the middle of May for the Majora round. Well, if you've been following this coronavirus, you know that Italy's like ground zero right now. It's not going very well there. So I don't know what that means for me. 
Um, I'm going to play it by ear. I don't even know if they'll have the race. If if they do have the race, I don't know that I'm going to go. Um, we have a lot of time between now and then, at least you know two and a half months before I really probably need to make a decision. But so I'm going to monitor it. But uh, this coronavirus has some ripple effects throughout the sport. Um, obviously canceled the first two MotoGP, which isn't really our sport, but similar, right? Similar industries. The uh, Trentino round, which I mentioned, got moved. Uh, the latest rumor is they're talking about doing something funky with the Seattle Supercross, which is coming up at the end of March. So we'll keep an eye on that. Um, Seattle's a hot spot for that coronavirus right now. I don't know if they'll cancel it. I don't know if they'll do something with attendance. I, I don't know. I've heard a lot of rumors, but I don't have anything firm. I don't think they've made a hard decision yet, but just keep your eye out for any news on Seattle. But this thing's for real. Um, I kind of lean towards, you know, people making a little bit of a, a bigger deal than it has to be. Yes, it is a dangerous deal and people are dying. So anytime people are dying from something, you don't want to downplay it. But people are dying from the flu too, right? The flu is nasty. It kills people every year. Um, and it's... The only I think there are more questions than answers, which is scary, right? How how contagious is it? They think it's maybe more contagious from than the flu, which is scary. Uh, how bad is this community spread, like airlines and airplanes, which is obviously scary for me because I'm constantly on airplanes and walking through airports. Uh, and then how quickly can they get something to get this under control? Uh, I think a vaccine's really far out, but. Uh, I think they just need to get some more clarity on what we're actually dealing with and uh, slow this spread down some. Because there's, there's mass hysteria out there. I mean, people are deathly afraid to go anywhere and do anything. And that's going to have some negative impacts on the economy, global economy overall. Forget about our, our little sport. So that's more the scary thing for me is what it does to the economy than I am, I am more scared about. Um, you know, I don't think we're in for a zombie apocalypse or anything like that. The media loves to play that stuff up, but it is something that does concern our sport. It does concern the races we have going on in our industry and uh, the kind of economy within the sport that uh, obviously I'm very, very involved with, and it, it runs my day-to-day -day life. So uh, we'll see what happens with that, um, my personal interest, and obviously the Supercross is moving forward too. So I want to thank all the sponsors again, uh, Pirelli, Plum Creek, um, Pump Creek Funding, Blenzall, Works Connection, Fly Racing, and Premier Vapor Blasting. One thing I want to mention too, so we're going to do a Formula Helmet giveaway. And what I want to do is sometime between, let's say now and Denver Supercross. Okay, so that's uh, April 4th coming up. We will do a giveaway on the, um, just after the Denver round of the series. So that's Sunday. I'm going to pick the best question, and it doesn't have to be the most insightful. doesn't have to be something I never thought about. It can be funny. I'm just going to pick, and we're going to do a Formula Helmet giveaway. And obviously, for those of you who have been living under a rock, Formula Helmet is Fly Racing's newest offering. To me, it completely revolutionized what should be expected from helmets and helmet technology and helmet safety. And uh, I love talking about it. I'm going to be doing a seminar this upcoming Thursday at Moto Extremes in uh, Cincinnati area just before Indianapolis Supercross. And I'm, it's going to give me a chance to explain to customers and more, you know, internal dealership people everything that's going on with the Formula Helmet and Rion technology. So 
We'll do that giveaway just after Denver, so get those questions in. Jason36 at AOL.com is where you want to send them. And, uh, yeah, I don't have any parameters for it. It's just what they're going to be the one I like the best. Um, so, anyway, thanks, everybody, for listening, and uh, we'll see who listened all the way to the end of this podcast because that's where this formula giveaway is going to be uh, inserted into. But thanks again. Uh, we're going to be doing the uh, Racer X recap here in a couple hours once Weege, once Weege gets done with the GNCC announcing and Steve gets off of his mountain bike. And then I will be live in studio uh, for the Pulp MX show tomorrow night, and we're going to be doing a, uh, a heavy WPS and Fly Racing content show. But we'll also have Tomac and uh, March Banks on. That'll be really exciting as well. So thanks again. Talk to you guys soon, and see ya.